If you're affected by anything you hear on this podcast, get in touch via manblues at gmx.com or at manbluesuk on Twitter. We're not qualified to help, but we can listen. Please don't suffer in silence. I'm Leon Deggs, and this is Man Blues. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing sex. <laughs> you might find this hard to believe, but this is the second time I've attempted to record this episode. <laughs> I listened back. I listened back to my first attempt, and I found I was skirting around words too often. I was trying to avoid saying things clearly, trying to avoid... uh, Basically, it was just drowned in innuendo and... Not a sexual innuendo, but basically just avoiding saying the words I was trying to say. So I'm I'm going to try again. So... Man blues and me and sex. So sex, or making love, or whichever way you want to refer to it, and with whomever you do it, it's very tricky. Women have this thing where they potentially feel that they're the only ones who feel body shame, but any man who's ever owned a penis will know that they are tricky to, um, unless you're particularly proud of it or you've got hyper-confidence, they're quite tricky to, you know, show to other people. The worst thing that could possibly happen is you drop your trousers and there's a bit of laughter and it's not from you. I mean, there are two really rather crude jokes that I do enjoy. I've never heard them said happily, but I do enjoy them. And one of them is, you know, so you're deep inside your partner let's say and you hear the phrase oh that's good I like a finger first (sighs) that's gotta hurt right or the worst one you're inside your partner and your partner says is it in yet I mean they are soul crushing comments that you could possibly hear but what he does do as soon as you hear something like that your confidence drains and so does the blood from the particular engorged member. So you kind of get a visit from the melty man, as they called it in that episode of Coupling, which I thought was just a beautiful way to refer to that kind of um, bedroom problem. But here's the thing. The older I become, the more that's happened. Because, not because of age, but just because I'm putting myself in a situation where I just think, oh, I hope I don't disappoint. And as soon as I got that thought in my head, that was it. And bear in mind, the person with whom I'm you know, doing this intimate act is my wife. So after all these years, she's now starting to think I don't find her attractive because I'm unable to sustain my engorgement. And, I mean, I'm still dancing around the words. <laughs> Why don't I just put an explicit tag on this episode and leave it at that? I don't know. Anyway, so if, if you're listening to this and it has an explicit tag on it, it's because I decided to give up dancing around the words and actually say them. But the problem is... The reason why I thought about this particular subject as being a, as a sort of like an issue for man blues is because, you know, there is a lot of pressure on men, as much as there is for women, but there's a lot of pressure on men when it comes to the bedroom. If you don't have that full-on confidence like those guys that you hear about or even those guys that you may know, if you don't have any of that confidence, then sex in the bedroom or sex anywhere is going to be tricky for you. You're going to be completely out of your comfort zone. 
Russell Howard did a stand-up show where he talked about the changes and the differences between him losing his virginity and children nowadays losing their virginity and it's all being captured on cameras and so on and so on. But he went on to make the further joke that that first time, because of the heightened excitement, the ejaculation is very quick. Nobody on their first time as a man can go for very long. And mine was exactly the same. But my losing my virginity was really difficult for me because my partner at the time, I mean, we were girlfriend-boyfriend, but my partner at the time, she, um, she wasn't on the pill. We'd used a condom. I had no idea that the condom wouldn't stay on me after deflation, let's say. So as I pulled out, the condom stayed in her. I mean, it was outside, but it was still inside her. And she panicked, and we had an evening of her lying in my arms and crying her eyes out because she now believed she could get pregnant. And that was me losing my virginity. My first ever time being intimate with a woman, and that was the outcome. The very next morning, we dashed over to the pharmacy. We got her on the pill, and happily she wasn't pregnant. She did get her, her period afterwards and whatever, but I mean, you know, people talk about a stressful first time. I'd like to hear a worse one than that. There, are, there will be ones out there. Please get in touch and let us know your um, losing your virginity stories. But my goodness, I mean, what a foray into the adult world that, you know, nobody tells you. Nobody tells you. I mean, I'm, I, I, to the point where I'm now considering going in and telling my son, by the way, when you put a condom on, make sure that as you're retrieving and re pulling out of the individual that you hold on to the base of the condom because it will slip off. But nobody told me. So I had the worst evening of my life after the best, let's be honest, two minutes of my life. Yeah, just frightening. But the reason why I was thinking about this this subject as a particular uh, good subject for the episode is because I was overhearing somebody talking about their girlfriend had asked them the scary question, which is, how many sexual partners have you had? And the chap that was with him gave the advice of, well, just divide it by two and take off ten. Now... Somebody who can say something like that, divide that number by two and take off ten or take off five or whatever it was he said. Somebody who can say that has clearly had far too many. But what exactly defines far too many? Because I was thinking about the terminology and the wording that's used around sort of promiscuous people in the different genders. And when it comes to women, any woman who has too much intercourse and has sex too often, you know, they're all negative terms. There's nothing positive that describes a woman empowering her sex or anything like that. Nothing. They're all negative terms. When it comes to the guy, he's a gigolo, he's a man about town, you know, he's all these other positive things. They're kind of almost positive approaches to it. So when it comes down to sex and men complaining that, you know, they have a little bit of anxiety and suffer perhaps a little bit of uh, a blues, a little bit of depression about sex in the sexual arena, Women can always counter that by saying, well, we have it worse. And they do. But the point still stands that if you've had too few partners, in the eyes of other men, you're a bit pathetic. But if you've had too many, you're a bit gross. And that's in the eyes of all sexes. And to be fair, I suppose women would think that if you've not had enough sexual partners, you might not be very good at it because you've not had enough practice. But I think the pressure to perform is, is very great. It's very high because... One of the key things, as I'm sure everyone can probably testify to, is that if, when it comes down to sex with women, for instance, one of the big issues is, is making sure that she enjoys herself. I mean, there's this whole thing about people claiming there is no such thing as a female orgasm. Well, there is. It's not a myth. It's a real thing. If you've never made a woman orgasm, that's on you. But 
that's where the pressure to perform comes in because for a man you don't want to finish before she does because then you've disappointed in my eyes I think it's nice if she can finish first because that's where the enjoyment is that said this one woman I was seeing whenever she had her climax she was tingly all over and didn't want to be touched so basically it didn't work out that if if she finished first that was it I was kind of left on the side waiting because I couldn't touch her until she caught her breath back and came down from it there wasn't any touch involved so that's kind of like stereotypes that you get you know in in the heterosexual world definitely uh, the, the man finishes first the woman's just left frustrated but I've also got a counter story but I've no idea how it works in the homosexual world I don't know whether there's anything to whether you have those kind of stereotypes out there but the other thing about it is it's about the sizing up because we know that women have their body consciousness they have their body shaming they have they've got all these body issues that they're all fighting with let me reassure you ladies if any ladies are indeed listening but let me reassure you we're just happy to see a pair of boobs we don't care where they are we don't care how low they are we don't care what color shape or size they are we're not bothered it's just another pair we haven't seen there was a beautiful analogy again really unrelated i was watching a tv show and they were talking about all the things that happened in the 20th century trust me there is a link it will come back and in this um, tv show they talked about how edmund hillary climbed to the top of everest and when he got there this unfortunately the show was in german so i'm going to try to translate it and to make it sound nicer in english but basically what he said was Edmund Hillary climbed to the top of Everest and slowly the white gaps on the map began to disappear, meaning that the cartographers could now fill in the gaps on the map because someone had climbed to the top of that mountain and could scope it out. That's what it is with women's boobs, because we see you in your clothes and then as soon as we see the boobs, we're filling in those white gaps on the map. So trust me, you might feel that you've got some kind of body shame issues going on, but men are just pleased to see it. Really are. We're like little puppies. Um, that's an inappropriate word. We're like little kids in a sweet shop. And that's also inappropriate. <laughs> I can't think of anything. And basically, we're just happy to see a pair of boobs. We're not particularly bothered about where they are, how they look, how they feel, whatever. They're boobs. So we're quite pleased about that. But men have the exact same thing about body shame. Because, as I said at the top of the episode, you drop your trousers and she laughs. That's it. Game over. But you also drop your trousers and you can see her shoulders drop. She's like, oh, not what I was hoping for. You know, it's, it, 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 it hurts. It really hurts. And, I mean, I don't want to get into the whole thing about how it's easier for a woman to get breast surgery than it is for a man to have a penis augmentation, but that's by the by. The point is, we have the same body issues that you do, so don't feel that you're alone in that that arena. We're just as vulnerable as you are when it comes to taking the clothes off. With regards to the positivity of it, talking to your partner to find out what they like is absolutely key. You just don't know what they like, and they don't know what you like, unless you've been intimate with each other for a long time. So that's the other thing. Like I said, I mean, my wife did say to me once, um, some years ago, she was asking about if if she and I ever broke up or weren't together for any reason, would I go out into the dating world again? And I said, no, I definitely would not. Not because of any sinister reason or any kind of reason like, oh, she's broken me for other women or I'm just bored of it. I just thought I couldn't be bothered to learn somebody else's foibles. I couldn't be bothered to get used to somebody else being in the house. And I certainly couldn't be bothered with having to learn what they like in the bedroom. I mean, it's taken me a long time to get things right with my wife, but we got there in the end, and now we know exactly what each other likes, and we know what each other doesn't like, and we know where to stop and where to draw the line, but there's loads of things that we haven't explored. 
there's things we've tried, there's things we've looked at, there's things we've talked about, but there's other things we've just never discussed. So unless you talk about it, you're not really going to know whether that's something that's going to work for the two of you. And if you're the sort of guy who goes out having sex with everybody all over the place every Friday night, Saturday night, whatever you're out having a different woman, I think you've got other issues in place. And I wouldn't even know where to begin to unpick those because there's clearly something in your life where you feel that that's the way to live it. And I don't agree. Now, here's the question though. Do I disagree with that sort of lifestyle because I'm the kind of guy who wouldn't go out and do that? Or is it because I'm the kind of guy who couldn't go out and do that? Or is it because I'm the kind of guy who, if he went out to do that, would just get rebuffed and knocked back every single time because I'm not the kind of guy people want to have sex with? Unless they're six or seven drinks in and they don't care. But the other thing is, you must make sure that you ask what they don't like. I mean, one of my girlfriends, she actually said to me when we were first being intimate, she said, just do what you like and I'll tell you when you've gone too far. So, of course, I stopped touching her. I stopped being intimate with her because I, I didn't know what for her was too far. And I said to her, you're going to have to be more clear than that. You're going to have to tell me exactly how far you're prepared to go. Because if I go too far immediately, by the first thing that I do, it's game over. So I said, no, I need more than that. You find out what they like and find out definitely what they don't like. And if, the, if what they don't like doesn't match what you like, if there's something that they say absolutely no to and you kind of go, hmm, it's a deal breaker for me, it's important. It's important. But the other thing I've heard over the years, definitely, is make some noise. You need to show the other person that you're into it. Because, you know, sometimes, let's not hide behind flowery language. Masturbation is something that most teenage boys get up to at some stage or other. And what inevitably happens is that because you're, you're tending to be doing that in your parents' house, you're trying to be as quiet as possible. If you are a serial masturbator and you masturbate a lot, you're going to be silent all the way through. Which means when you come to having sex with an actual partner rather than just playing with yourself, you're possibly going to be very restrained and not be very vocal. And it can be quite a shock when the other person is, because you could be, you know, in the middle of the deed and then suddenly this person starts moaning and groaning and you're like, shh, shh, stop, 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 stop. So you need to basically just be more vocal. You need to come to terms with it. You need to get used to it. You know, that's the only advice I have really. Um, and it's certainly, I mean, I could delve further into some of the stories I've got but I really don't want to because I suppose the biggest thing is here my fear is that rather like Stephen Fry in his celibacy article I just fear that I might not be very good at sex my name's Leon Deggs this has been the second attempt to record this episode I think it worked better this time thank you for listening 